members of the public can walk into the parliament, sign in and go and sit in the houses of in those meetings. And while they may not participate, but they have every right to be there. Again, small things to me that say the drafters of our constitution, the drafters of the rules of parliament understood that this place isn't for politicians. It is for the people who said there. Hello, hello everyone. It's good to be back on here. So today I have a really interesting episode. It's going to be an excellent one if I do say so myself. I recently met an incredibly intelligent and passionate young woman and a member of the South African Parliament. Okay, before I get there, let me run this back real quick. So today the topic that I'm hoping we can chat a bit about is Parliament, the role and relevance of Parliament in our world today. So we know in theory, right, and practically sometimes that parliaments exist to represent the electorates. They are the government by the people. They articulate and consider the views of citizens in decision making and are thus quite instrumental in this democratic project that many of us on the continent and in other places are pursuing as a form of governance. So I thought it pertinent to bring the discussion about, you know, what parliament is, what it means, what it should mean to us. I thought it would be a really good conversation to personalize it a bit but also help to draw some of these ideas and these issues that sometimes seem so far-fetched and unchangeable but in actual sense very well maybe i don't want to give too much away from this conversation but i wouldn't keep you much longer either so joining me today is Sibiwe Gwarube. Uh, Sivewe is the Deputy Chief Whip and National Spokesperson for South Africa's main opposition party, the Democratic Alliance. Sivewe Gwarube began her career in politics in 2012 as a professional staff member working in communications. Since then, she moved on to work for the Western Cape government as a spokesperson and the head of ministry for the Department of Health in the province. In the lead up to and during the 2019 elections, she was the Executive Director of Communications for the DA before being sworn into the National Assembly. Today, as mentioned previously, she is applying pressure as the Deputy Chief Whip and National Spokesperson for the Democratic Alliance. Let's tune straight into the chat with Sibiwe Gwarube. Uh, Sibiwe, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Brentus Foundation podcast. Um, I think to get us started, it would be good to tell um, us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you, well, I guess, your journey to now. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, um, my career, I think, spans over a period of uh, almost a decade now. Yes, in 2022, it, has, it will be 10 years. Um, I started off working as a media officer uh, in Lindy Wemazabogo's office. She was the then day parliamentary leader. And um, and so that was my first job straight out of university, which was very, very exciting, working in parliament, um, working in the sort of uh, the front lines of um, sort of South African politics at the time. Yeah. Um, I managed to witness some of the some of the landmark um, decisions that uh, are, are still with us today. Uh, we had the first motion of no confidence that was the first multi-party motion of no confidence against the then uh, former president, uh, Jacob Zuma. Um, that was led by opposition parties, really the first of its kind in democratic South Africa. 
Um, we also had uh, the, the, the Nganja matter that was referred to the then public protector uh, advocate Tulima Donzela, which went on to have court cases that are referenced from that and the like. So very exciting times when I first started out and then from there moved on to work in our governments in the Western Cape. I worked as a spokesperson and then uh, head of ministry in the Department of Health, which is when really I started falling in love with health as a portfolio. So when I got elected um, in, uh, in 2019, I I was the, the the shadow minister for health, which is basically the opposition spokesperson uh, on the portfolio um, from 2019 before becoming a deputy chief um, from last year. Awesome. Well, that's excellent. That's quite the journey. You were like right in after university. <laughs> that's really cool to see. Um, so you are an MP now, right? A member of parliament. Can you describe for us what that means and that entails? And I asked this question. It's quite basic, but the a lot of people that are not as in tune or don't engage as much. So I think it's important actually to have that conversation and set the frame around which we chat further. Hmm. No, I think um, I, th I think it's really an important question, and I think that um, a lot of people maybe make the assumption that a lot of people, other people know, therefore they don't ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, you know, I had my um, my my doctor ask me the other day, "What does a member of parliament do?" And it made me realize that it's not as common as people think it is. Um, yeah. And and that we don't talk about really, like you know, what do you do? I mean, do a number of do some of our MPs know what they do, <laughs> what at least they meant to do. Um, so yeah, so I'm a member of Parliament. So I was elected in 2019. What that means is that I've been elected while well, I'm in, I'm elected by the people of South Africa to represent them in the Houses of Parliament in the National Assembly. Uh, there I am part or I'm an MP for the Democratic Alliance, um, which is the official opposition party in South Africa. So I am part of a caucus of about 89 people. A caucus is basically our team, all our members of parliament. How, member, how seats in parliament are allocated, they are allocated according to the proportional representation that each party gets. So the ANC would have 50-something percent of the seats in Parliament, we would have 22 percent of the seats in Parliament, and so it goes. Um, so that's how the, the, the 400 members are divvied up. Um, and we've all got the National Assembly, and we've got the National Council of Provinces. The National Assembly, where I am at, um, is responsible for lawmaking, responsible for uh, uh, oversight over the executive, essentially holding government to account on behalf of the people who have elected us to serve. And, um, and the National Council of Provinces is mostly responsible for providing representation for the nine provinces in Parliament. Mm -hmm. So those two are really meant to work in concert um, and they're great sort of, you know, lawmaking uh, tool, the fact that they are separated houses of Parliament. There's sometimes, sometimes a misconception that the NCOP is a lot less important. Um, mm -hmm and and not as important as the, as the National Assembly, which of course is not true. Um, 
both houses are very important and in fact in the lawmaking process you can see how a law will start off in the National Assembly or move to the National Council of Provinces, particularly as it pertains to the provinces and how provinces deal with it and then it will move over to the President for signing into law. So yes, what I do and primarily there are two functions of a Member of Parliament, um, I would say three. Number one, um, what you are responsible for and always, which is always my my personal North Star is that you are responsible for the people that have elected you. So you have office um, to say you, will pre you are prepared to serve the people of South Africa, all people of South Africa, regardless of what political affiliation they are. Um, you have it, you have decided that you want to put your hand up for public service to serve them. So your first real um, sort of constitutional obligation is to serve the people who have elected you. Yes. And what that means, it, it then takes an effect in two ways. Number one, you make laws in the Houses of Parliament, so mm -hmm. members of Parliament can deliberate in pieces of legislation, we can uh, talk about amendments to the Constitution, um, we can bring pieces of legislation that are informed by what we are seeing on the ground by the people around us. So your oath to the people of South Africa and you exercise that oath in two ways, passing legislation and holding government to account on behalf of these people who've sent you there. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's a really good point, because I think, and you know, we've just talked a bit about this already, but a lot of the times we hear that, you know, it's passing legislation. But if the part about holding government to account is something we don't hear as much, although we probably see more of that in news clippings and on TVs, but I don't know if we always make that connection the way that it needs to be made, because we usually hear just one function to pass legislation. Um, so thank you for highlighting that as well. Right, so another question I had was, as a young South African, right, why the choice to actively engage with like policy and governance through parliament um, and on that note what have you learned now that you didn't know before you started um, and what would you say maybe has surprised you the most in your journey so far oh there's so many <laughs> why why the, why i mean i think it's an again it's an important question that i've had to ask myself as well um why why choosing to look through policy and, and choose this uh line of work mm. well because i think for me when i had the choice uh, in 2019 when I was thinking about whether or not do I want to take up my seat in parliament or do I want to do something else I prom promised myself that all I ask of myself is to do this for five years um, I said you know all I ask of you is to do it for one term and to try and do it the best as you can for one you are not I'm not expecting you to um, you know be a veteran here after 15 years just one term mm -hmm. and what I really wanted to do there is to, to say that like well you know um, the reality is that there there is has not been a very fresh idea of what uh, a modern politician or public servant would look like in 2022 or 2019 yeah. whenever the time was made the decision was made and so as a result I wanted to think I thought to myself it's quite important that you know I'm not the I as a young person in South Africa I have some ideas about how I think South Africa can work mm -hmm. and how Africa can work better and I wanted to be part of that change and mm -hmm. 
myself in the basically in, in the front lines of that battle try and see um, if I can effect some change um, and really and as idealistic as it sounds the reality is that that is that is that has been my goal to try and effect as much change as I possibly can in the five years that I've given myself to do so um, in the front lines of, of, of politics because politics while a lot of people will shy away from it the reality is that it, it is all around us yeah. um, and everything that you do from what you eat to how much you pay for petrol to where you go to school, the quality of your health care, um, the roads that you use, whether you feel safe in your neighborhood, every single thing about your life is determined by political players. And if we don't infiltrate those spaces and we don't have competent, young, passionate people who are innovative and thinking of creative ways to make South Africa work, then what we're going to have is a dying generation of leaders who don't have anyone to take over them and yeah. who don't have anyone to push them a little bit more to say, well, you know, lead or step aside. Um, and we've, we've got some ideas. So for me, I decided that, you know, while it's not necessarily the coolest thing to do to <laughs> want to be a politician, that uh, I thought, let me use my skills um, that I have and my ideas and my youth on my side to to do this um, and and then we can see where that what that takes us. There was a second part of your question which I've now forgotten. No, I was asking what have you learned now that you didn't know before you did this and what has surprised you so far in your journey? This has been really difficult. I didn't think it would be easy, um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's been difficult for different reasons. I suppose I thought it was going to be difficult in terms of, um, you know, the you know the the work that one has to do. Yeah. Um, but it's actually been more difficult uh, from a personal point of view, um, in in a personally challenging way. In that, um, you know, when you are thirty in uh, and uh, and elected in in South Africa, where everybody in that role is twice your age, you start to experience a lot of things that you never thought was uh, going to, you were going to experience. Um, and there's a lot of ageism and sexism in South African politics. Mm. And I, I, you know, I thought that, you know, I was half expecting the sexism, but the ageism is really, really a big thing um, where, especially when you, you are tasked with holding people to account, people who may be twice your age yeah. and got to ask those difficult questions. I would often have people say to me um, when we, I was asking difficult questions to the then um, health minister, when I was uh, the, the health spokesperson, saying, you know, you can't speak to the minister in that way. You know, he's as old enough to be your father. And, and, and weird things like that, you know, where yeah. the reality is that, yes, I am black and I, I was really raised to be respectful. But also part of my job and how I was also raised is that once you make a commitment that you follow through. And I made a commitment to the people of South Africa that I would represent them and not represent them well. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it goes against what you, you know, what people may think you need to be. So there's a lot of um, uh, 
difference that gets, uh, you know, sort of used as a way of not holding people to account. So that was a little surprising for me because I would have thought that, you know, we are all colleagues. I mean, that's the reality, regardless of how old I am. The reality is that we are all colleagues. So that was a little surprising. Um, but also then what also became um, quite surprising, I suppose, on a more positive note, is that I realized that a lot of people also are quite human. So we would um, do a lot of oversight visits with our MPs across the country. And some of you know the argy-bargy and the tensions that people see on television um, is not always, you know, it's not something that is carried out often just like in the corridors of parliament um, is generally often an understanding that we do what we do um, and but ultimately you know we're all here to do a job and people aren't nasty to each other you don't see people you know shoving each other in the corridors so that was that was that was pleasantly surprising for me to see that a lot of people are very human and quite frankly a lot more mature so you know there's the good with the bad I suppose <laughs> no definitely so the two things that come to mind from everything you said the first one is this tweet I saw um, which basically said uh, I don't do politics um, like in quotes and the answer was well <laughs> politics is going to do you regardless so it's this idea of like you have to engage because as she said it affects every part of our lives and we need to figure out <laughs> what it means to actually change things and what that requires of us and the second thing that you didn't say directly but you said in other words that I picked out is even for some of the things you're talking about it's uncomfortable but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it you should do it anyway yeah. right it's, you're yeah. scared but do it anyway and yeah. that's what Gets yeah. you to places yeah. like you are now and facing some of these things and moving through it and learning from them and trying to figure out how to make things work. But anyway, those are just two things that came to mind um, when you said that. All right. So I think, you know, part of the things that we wanted to talk about in this conversation, right, is this idea of the role of parliament as an institution um, and its relevance to the layperson today. Can you speak a little bit about that in terms of, you know, what you've garnered from the process like so far? Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, um, it, it's exactly the, it's exactly that tweet, tweet which I really really liked. Yeah. Um, because it's the same thing with Parliament itself, right? So, and that's also one of the things that was really disheartening for me when I came into this role, because mm -hmm. I realized that a lot of people don't understand that this institution is theirs. It's the people's institution, and it doesn't belong to the 400 members who 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 are employed there. Essentially, yeah. the, those 400 people have been sent by you, the people who elected us. You can hire and fire those people in that building. That mm -hmm. building does not belong to them. It belongs to the people of South Africa. But then what does that mean practically? It's nice to know. I mean, I suppose if somebody said to me, oh, well, you've got a building, it is nice to know. But I mean, what, what? why must I care about some building that's also just now burnt down even? So mm -hmm. why? I care about it, you know, um, and the reality is that one, like I said, it, it's so it's so symbolic of the power of people's votes and participation in a political system. It is absolutely symbolic of the fact that you matter and mm. that constitution envisioned that your power really resides in the ballot box, regardless mm. of how you exercise that right, regardless of who you vote for but the institution recognizes you as an individual who can influence the way in which 
your country in the direction that your country goes. The reason why for me that's so symbolic and that institution is symbolic of that power is because effectively with enough people, you can affect who gets to sit in those seats, yeah. who gets to make the decisions on your behalf, who gets to be the ones that decide on your petrol prices. Um, we've just seen now in the US um, where we've seen how political interference in the judiciary yeah. has won and revoked a fundamental right that has been uh, that has been something that has almost been inalienable to yeah. many Americans and has now been reversed. That shows you just how pervasive and how deeply personal politics can be. Mm. And, and you may think that if I just close my eyes and I just not like lock, you sort of block out all of these people that I never have to hear from them again. The reality is that yes, you can choose to do that, but they are working every single day. They yeah. affect how you live your life, who you who you can love, whether you can marry them, um, whether you can adopt children. I mean, it it could not it could not get more personal. It is really about who you are. And so for me, the institution is not just about a house that belongs to the people of South Africa, but it's a symbolic that you can choose who gets to sit and make those decisions on your behalf. And Parliament really is that place because you know. Um, even even in the rules of parliament, it is envisioned that South Africans, anyone can walk in, whether you're South African or not, you can walk in and be party to meetings of parliament. Many people know that, that you can, even now as the impeachment process against the public protectors going on, members of the public can walk into the parliament, sign in and go and sit in the houses of, in those meetings, and while they may not participate, but they have every right to be there. Again, small things to me that say the drafters of our constitution, the drafters of the rules of parliament understood that this place isn't for politicians. It is for the people who sit there. Uh, and for them, theirs is to be a conduit of the wishes of the people. Mm -hmm. and, and so that for me is what that institution means. And that's what I want to really you know, in my time in the space that I want to communicate that to people, particularly to young people to say, take back your power, yeah. take back your power, because if you don't, I promise you, it serves the people who want to suppress your power for you mm -hmm. to know it exists to begin with. And so take back your power, regardless of what you do with it. Uh, and regardless of who you vote for, who you put in, the reality is that you use it. Because if you don't use it, it serves those people that don't want to see our democracy consolidating, don't want to see the will of the people, no matter how complicated, um, they don't want to see the will of the people playing themselves, playing itself out. So it's something I'm super, super passionate about because, again, it has been something that really nobody speaks about. It's kind yeah. of... It's really a misunderstood notion and, you know, members of parliament get dressed and they go to work every day and people don't quite know why. The reality is that those people are, you hired them and you can fire them. And so some of the conversations we have around the bride, the dinner table about how frustrating some of these people are, we can remove them. Yeah. And 
especially as we head towards 2024, which I think is going to be a historic election in South Africa. I think the more and more people realize just the power that they have in being able to shape the direction of the country, I think that we might just be able to see something magical happening on the continent. Mm, no, that's amazing. I mean, you're speaking right now and I'm like, that's a reason why she's a spokesperson. You have this ability to frame issues so well and to draw the picture that I really appreciate because I'm like, you see, if we know some of these things, some of which we don't exactly know for lack of, I guess, interest, but it's so, it, it's, it's like, oh, you can actually do that. And I think this episode I probably will dedicate to Kenyans in their upcoming election because I had the chance today to speak with some people, um, especially young people. And it's this idea that, you know, elections come and go and they leave us in the same place, right? And so a lack of interest, this idea of voter apathy and things like that. And it's just like, no, you actually can play some role. And yes, we know that there are extra circumstances that happen around certain things. But the more we understand the agency and the power that we have on some of these things, that's when we start to see the difference. That's when we start to make the difference and we hold people accountable um, to certain things that they may take for granted just because people won't engage as much. Um, so thank you for sort of teasing that out really well um, for me. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, sorry. And I, sorry, and I even even say to my friends who are in finance who say, oh, look, you know, just leave me. I want to go off and make some money. And of course, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Not all of us can basically work for the NPO, which is the country. <laughs> But um, you know, yes, people must go make money. People must make they um, they make they must go and be in medicine and the sciences. We need qualified people doing and changing the country from inside within, changing the continent from whatever industry they choose to be in. But all that I ask is that when you do do that, don't disengage from your one civic duty. It's a duty and an honor that I I, I accept as an honor because it's the one thing that the constitution has entrusted you with, but it's also the one thing that you have to protect your individual rights. And so regardless of what you do, nobody says, you know, you've got to go start a branch now, but what you can do is that at those allocated times, show up, yeah. go past your vote, make sure that you know who's running on what they're running, what the track record is, and lobby other young people to change their voting patterns. Mm -hmm. if want to see change. So I'm really hoping that uh, the Kenyans, as they head towards the day elections, even though there might be a feeling of a sense of nothing happens and uh, we may vote, but nothing happens. But if enough good people stand up and exactly. they make a change and they, they really dedicate themselves to saying we're going to take back our country, yeah. we can see something incredible like we saw uh, in HH selection not so long ago. And everybody was shocked and saying, is this a trend that we're going to see on the continent? Yeah. It can be. It can be if enough people do the right thing. I completely agree with you. Right, so one other point I wanted to talk about was, and you mentioned sort of uh, a bit of it before, I guess you answered some part of it, but I'm still going to ask it. When it comes to, you know, like parliament, there's always sort of 
debates and discourse around, you know, uh, key issues. Um, and today, it seems at least what is often portrayed is that a lot of these seem to be very polarized, um, sometimes riddled with insults as opposed to banter, at least that's so the way it seems. Like, what do you make of how issues are discussed or lack thereof today in Parliament? And what does it mean for the quality of decisions that we can make in terms of the conversations that we actually do allow ourselves to have, even when it's uncomfortable? Mm, absolutely. I think it's, it's, a, it's again, very important question. And, and um, the reality is, is that that's also one of the, for me, that has been one of the big disappointments with being um, in Parliament mm. is sometimes obviously the lack of the lack of content and insights and new ideas that uh, a lot of our public reps or a lot of our public representatives do not have mm. uh, while sitting in the benches of parliament. Uh, innovative thinking, um, or at least the burning desire to change things. Right. And and it's very disheartening, like I say, because you know you come in there with fire in your belly and you want to do things, you want to change things, and you realize that, oh goodness, I'm, si I'm surrounded by mm. a lot who simply want to do things as the way they used to. Let me make an example. One of the big things <clears throat> in the rules of parliament, which uh, is, is a very clear um, mechanism that my members of parliament can use, is that the executive can table a budget, right? Mm -hmm. the, the national budget every year, table it in parliament. Members of parliament actually have the right, the duty to amend that budget. It that, The reason why the Minister of Finance, the, the Minister of Finance tables it in Parliament is for the voting of the budget. But it's not simply a ceremonial exercise to have the budget there and then and then you know he comes and delivers as a budget speech and then it's you know it's accepted that well it's an accepted budget by and then that's the end of that. Mm -hmm. The reality is that that budget comes through bills, uh, money bills in Parliament. Mm -hmm. And members of Parliament in the various portfolios can change aspects of that budget. It has never happened since 1994. That mechanism has never been used since 1994. Huh. That blows my mind. Yeah. Country that has 70% unemployment of young people, almost 50% of unemployment of people in general, um, in a country that has you know, a backlog of DNA where the police don't collect enough DNA, particularly for sexually abused victims. I mean, there are a number of things that you and I can talk about and say, surely money should be channeled here instead mm -hmm. of being allowed here. Surely money should be challenged, channeled to um, social grants, um, has to, 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 to mothers of children who need social grants, uh, as opposed to bailing out a failing airline. All of these things, we could definitely say, well, we think the budget should be spent differently. Yeah. It's not been done before. Um, and it, 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 you know, and, and for me, again, it just says the drafters of the Constitution and the drafters of the Rules of Parliament had a particular thing in mind. They had an active parliament in mind, a robust parliament that would really push the executive hard and say, we think your priorities are wrong. We're sending this back. We're not voting on this and we're united regardless of what pol party political lines there are here. We are united in saying South Africans deserve better and we're not going to support your budget until you go and rework it. And so for me, that's the sad thing that, you know, we don't have that. 
mm. but we've got the mechanisms to have that but we don't have it at all um and so that that's really like you know one of the the big things that are are disheartening to definitely about about parliament and the quality of the discourse and of course you know when it comes to the quality of the debates um and a lot of people will say will often ask <clears throat> an example again you know why is it important that you say we've requested parliament to debate this matter and the like and i always say it's very very important for things to be discussed in parliament because things that are discussed in parliament are a matter of public record mm-hmm. but so if they are not mentioned in the house if they're not discussed in the house then they cannot be in the records but if you bring a matter let's say something you know a matter of you know uh, um the lack of rape kits in your constituency in the in the police stations and you bring it for discussion in parliament it is a matter of public record the minister is obliged to answer and state and give timelines as to when that matter will be resolved so that that mechanism is there um and so that's why it's important that that place becomes a center of robust and public debate of issues that matter most to south africans so that's why the, the space is quite important sometimes the level of debate often really is 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 not up to scratch and i think sometimes is really detached from mm. what Africans are expecting from us i think that you know as an, if i was an ordinary south african watching my tv I'd want to see a lot more people a lot more animated about the things that matter to me. I want people to be animated about the fact that I can't find job, I can't find I can't finance my family, I can hardly get by, the standard of living is too high. I want my leaders to be discussing that. I want them to be animated about what matters to me because mm-hmm. I'm the one who sent them there. They they're representing me. They yeah, you know just you know throwing smart slinging uh, throwing insults at each other to no end it's one thing to have banter and the like but remember that why we are here um and so i do wish that we would often all have the kind of the same idea that we've got to remind ourselves why we are there and we've got to elevate the the the, the level of debate to really match the level of the issues that people are out there wanting us to talk about they want us not only to talk about it but to come up with innovative ideas to save south africa and mm-hmm. to save them um and so that's what i would like to see that's what i would like i would like to see a parliament that's really exploring all its avenues in order to try and bring a better life ready for south africans that's wow that's fantastic and even the point you made about you know the budget and having the mechanism to do that i wonder you know one of the points you mentioned was people being detached from some of the issues because in a lot of places like south africa and other african countries the types of people that end up in places like that have completely different lives than the average person on the road so that's one thing but might you have some thoughts about why that is why people don't always use some of these mechanisms why they don't probe as much to be able to do more is it just because it's not really required of them because they get away with things or like i don't know if you have any further ideas on that i think it's a lack of accountability mm-hmm. um, and i think it goes back to what i was saying about you know ultimately it's the people who have the power to change the people who are in that house I think it's a lack of accountability. I think that if you want if you were a member of parliament and you wanted to come to parliament and do nothing it's very possible to do that. Um and without, you know, you've got a 5-year term 
um, you are unlikely to be fired unless you do something really egregious. But yeah. you you can coast, right, for five years. Yeah. You occupy a seat, um, you can earn a salary, and you can coast for five years and do nothing. But you see, the reality is that if you were being held accountable, if you knew that if you don't perform, at least and people are paying attention, not even not just the people in politics, the people out there, they are paying attention. Come the next election season, you will not see your seat again. You will work a little bit harder for the people who sent you there. But it has to start with people recognizing that it is them who sent you there. And so that they can teach you that when you don't work for us, we're going to remove you. We're going to remove you. So I think for me, the big thing is really the lack of accountability. A lot of South African and broadly African politicians aren't held accountable by the people that have sent them there. The fact that people can be in office for years and, um, and you know, have no tangible sort of thing that they can point to to say, this is what I've done for my constituency or this is what I've pushed for in parliament. These are the debates that I've asked. These are the questions that I've asked. These are some of the things that, you know, it's one thing that I want that for myself as a professional and that I dry, I push myself to, to for those outcomes. But mm -hmm. ultimately, I should be pushed by the people of South Africa to know that, you know, if I don't work, if people don't see me working and getting them the results and getting them the resources they need, the government response they need, the service delivery they need, I'm not coming back come the next, the, the next term. And so I think, I think, again, the trick for me is that real interest and that real mind shift from ordinary citizens. And I think once we get that right, we're going to get better public representatives in, in power. And then we're also going to have people who are accountable, who are going to work harder. Um, but also at the same time, we're going to see a politics that reflects our desires and not the other way around. Excellent, as always. So I know I'm almost out of time, so I'm going to try not to keep you too long. But one question I had was when we, you know, realistically, right, when we think about the political landscape in South Africa, could things be different um, around here? And if so, um, they could be different, but could they be better? Um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how and in what ways things could be better in the, you know, short, medium term. Yeah, I definitely think things could be better. I think, um, but our, our window of changing things is fast closing, I'm afraid. Um, you know, if you look across the continent and in other parts of the, in the world, um, you realize that, you know, each country kind of had these, this like, you know, the window of opportunity where you could really, you know, push through the reforms that you needed and get onto the other side. Excuse me. And I think that with South Africa, our window is fast closing. And I think that we've got about two years to really jack up. And that scares me. Because I don't know if we're going to make it. I don't know if we're going to convince enough people to take enough interest in the state of our country. And also, I think a lot of people do have interest, right? So I just just to back up a bit, because I don't want to sort of make it seem like the problems of our country rest on the people of our country. No, no, not at all. I just think that, um, you know, I think enough people care about the country. I just think people don't always quite know how to channel that care. Yeah. What 
I do. So yes, I'm, I'm stressed about my kids um, not being able to go to a good quality school, not being able to get good quality health care. I'm worried about all of those things. How do I channel the worry? How do I channel the anxiety? And for me, honestly, the best way I know how and the best way that the, the drafters of our constitution envisioned is regular free and fair elections. Hmm. Was then is to make sure as people who've been elected already is to make sure that the institutions are strong. So the the IEC has to remain strong and independent. Yeah. Because once independent elections go out the window, that's when you have a problem of credibility. Yeah. And so it's very, very important that we remain, we keep, we insulate our institutions from heavy political influence as things are about to change and that the IEC remains independent it remains capacitated it remains an independent institution that the majority of South Africans can trust because of course anyone who's written about democracy will tell you that it all hinges on people being able to trust that the the the, the votes that have been casted are actually the true reflection of the will of the people we've exactly. seen on the continent when that happens people completely disengage from the political system altogether because they say well what's the point because yeah. people are stealing an election so i think looking after our institutions is going to be important looking after the ICs of paramount importance looking after the independence of the judiciary um and of course I mean, there are many ways that we can also strengthen the independence of the judiciary. For instance, removing politicians from the um, committee that is made up of law uh, society, made up of members of parliament, the speaker of the National Assembly. Um, they've just recently been sitting now um, discussing the appointment of the Chief Justice. My view is that, and the view of my party, is that politicians should not be involved in the appointment of judges. Mm. At even though it's an advisory body to the president and that they don't necessarily make the appointment the president does but ultimately it is in my view that politicians should not be in the process of making appointments for judges at all and so again you know that requires us to insulate the judiciary from heavy political influence and uh, and then also just making sure that our state institutions like the public protector chapter 9 institutions um like uh you know the hawks the npa the criminal justice system all really are protected from ruin um mm -hmm because it's the only way in which while we are waiting for the transition of our country we can make sure that things continue to run well and um, and so I think that yes things can be better but um, the window of opportunity is fast closing yeah. and that we literally all of us this has to be our Arab Spring moment as South Africa um, come 2024 where we all make different choices so that we can make sure that we save our country. There's a lot of new political entrants in the market, um, you know, and people must consider like, you know, um, I don't think that I think for the first time in South African history, we we're going to have a lot of political parties contesting elections. And I think as a result, people have a lot more choice. I think that people are not just faced with a choice of voting for the incumbents or staying away. I think 
will have a lot more choices that are open to them and, and political parties that speak to more of what they believe in. But really what's important is that people are going to have to go out and go make that choice and, and elect those people. Um, and I think things can get better if we strengthen um, parliament in which they're in way. And of course, you know, if 2024 comes around, and there isn't one single political party that has a majority and maybe we have a coalition government like we are seeing in uh, some of the metro governments around the country then we have a whole different ball game right where right. we have to um where we where, you know the majority is not guaranteed in parliament so where the majority party can't just railroad things through where there has to be negotiation there has to be panel beating of pieces of legislation and i think that can only make us better okay. and if we don't have the kind of sort of monopoly of one political party it can only make us better and remember why we are there so i think things can get better i'm really really hopeful and i think that there's an exciting period in south africa coming as we head 2020 towards 2024 but except you know it's a moonshot and so <laughs> but uh, we've got to grab it and we've got to run with it and the time could not be more urgent Mm, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of work to be done, but in a short period, as you're saying. So I just, you know, basically come to the end of the podcast and I just realized I got so excited speaking to you. We usually play a game at the start of this. We wouldn't have time to do that. But I just wanted to ask you to... I want a game too. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is usually a game that we play that is sort of to get us warmed up. Um, and it's like a quick game. I ask you a question and you say the first thing that comes to mind um and it's usually things about you um so how many languages do you speak three which languages are those uh it's a cosa it's a zulu and english <laughs> do you have any hobbies or skills that people don't really know about you uh i play a very mean game of 30 seconds and <laughs> i know how to cook <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, that part, indeed. (laughs) What best describes your workday? What word describes it? What best describes your workday? Oh, (laughs) a marathon. (laughs) Are you a zero inbox person? A Z? Zero inbox person. Like, do you always have to get your inbox? No. No, no, negative. I have not. Um, I lost a battle against my mailbox about three years ago. <laughs> you have like a thousand on red messages. Uh, I, look, I prioritize, okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. What's one skill that you underestimated but has served you really well in your work? Uh, I think my ability to negotiate and reach across the aisle. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it has made me be able to, and and also... I think my ability to be empathetic. Mm. Um, these are soft skills that many people don't think that leaders need. Mm. Uh, and I have been blown away by how much empathy, um, reaching across the eye, learning to understand other people has really helped me in my work and really has made me more impactful uh, mm. getting things done. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. What was the last aha moment you had and what was it about? Oh, God. <laughs> Uh, good Lord, you've sent me into a rabbit hole now. <laughs> uh, it was my aha moment. Actually, 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. Now, now it comes to mind. Um, I was recently uh, invited by uh, the Breakfast Health Foundation to uh, participate in a, a retreat um, in Lake Como. And listening okay. to former heads of state and some people who played really influential sort of roles in their countries around peacekeeping, um, sustaining democracies and the like. And I just realized uh, while listening to some of these stories, um, how much uh, politicians, I think in particular, need to sometimes hear the stories of those who've gone before in even harsher um, sort of conditions where other people have risked their lives for you to realize that I'm re-energized, my cup is full. And so I had a really big aha moment where I realized so many people have even risked their lives for the attainment of democracy and mine only really is to do my bit to at least make sure that South Africa doesn't go in that direction, but try and wake as many people up to the fact that it's our it's our country to to save, and it will be ours to lose. Fantastic, and I'm glad that your last aha moment had us factored in there in some way. So it's a pleasure to be able to have done that. All right, the final one for you. What comes to mind when you hear or think about Africa in 2050? Oh, love the continent. Uh, I think there's so much more we can be doing. Um, I, uh, I think uh, of functioning democracies. Um, I think of uh, a far more united African Union. Um, and I also think of something, some selfish things like, you know, um, getting trade agreements between African countries, mm. uh, opening up the routes for African people to travel a lot more, um, yeah. finding a common, you know, there's been a lot of talk around a, a common currency. And I think there's just so much more we can learn from other continents that we don't do for ourselves. Mm. And, um, and I really, really think that it will start with making sure that we've got stability on the continent in as many countries as possible, where we we rid the continent of, um, you know, of 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 people who are who are not respectful of democracy. Um, we rid the continents of people who are wanting to rule forever, um, and so and to stabilize the continent, but then to move towards also a far more prosperous continent that yeah. is. In diversity that is rich in, um, in in resources, but then we harness that. We draw people from various. We bring back some of the people who've left the continents to say, "Come, plow your skills back onto the continent." So uh, exciting times, but um, a lot of work that ought to be done. And I think that if only we could all see a far more positive and a less dark and sort of depleted continent in 2050, mm-hmm. then I think we can we can really revive the way in which people even see the continent and how we see ourselves. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know when last you heard me. Uh, I heard uh, we can really revive and then it just passed. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I, I was simply saying that, like, I think we can really revive the way we see the continent and uh, mm-hmm way that other people see the continent. I think that there's just so much more that is at our disposal um, that I think we should really try and and harness. And I think for me, the trick lies in making use of each and every one of us within whatever industry, in whatever sphere of work that you're in, all of us have a role to play. 
And if all of us can do our bit in our industries to change things, I think we can see a far brighter and uh, prosperous continent in 2050. I'll tell you, Sibu, I've asked this question to quite a number of people, and this is one of the most endearing, but also best responses I've received on this. Um, and I appreciate the optimism and enthusiasm around that, because as she says, sometimes it's, it's quite stark, and we know what the reality could be. It can be terrifying, but there's also the need for us to desire the more positive side, to, to aspire to get there. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. And Sibir, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this with me. You are a total rock star, and um, I wish you very well in all your endeavors. Thank, thank you for your time. So thank you. It has been a lot of fun, and we had a, a great time, and uh, thank Thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. All right. Okay, then. Bye-bye. I mean, that was a total mic drop conversation. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed the chat with Sibiwe and her insights around parliament, the role of youth, the role of the electorate, really, instead of supporting and advancing this uh, democracies and consolidating and deepening them in the levels and to the levels and in the ways that we want to see. So yes, I'm giving you the permission to listen to this again and to have further conversations with your friends, with your colleagues in your networks about some of the things that we spoke about here and even more ways that we can sort of deepen our different democracies in the ways that would best suit us, especially the younger generation of people that are looking to take the reins of leadership across the continent.